Without love, where would you be right now? Without love, etc., etc. Obviously, in a better way than that. But you know, the thing is, I like the doobies. I like the yacht rock nature of them. I know they changed from being a bit harder to being a bit softer. Certainly, when Michael McDonald came in. Um, what a fool believes. I'll have to put that down because I can't get up there at the moment. But you know, and he can, still can. But I always thought the doobies, although I enjoyed them, you know, were a kind of nice, pleasant, um, blue-eyed soul uh, band, really. And um, that's not the case, according to Behind the Music. But you you see, Behind the Music's always about, but there was a terrible time ahead when Behind the Music returns. There's nothing about, you know, everything was great and it continued to be great. Everyone got on. No, there have to be some issues, and there were with the doobies as well. I mean, there were things that I didn't know um, about the doobies. For instance, that early on, they were a bit of a shit-kicking Hell's Angels. Uh, but well, the Hell's Angels liked them, you know. Um, somebody says we didn't know that doobie meant a joint. Yeah, right. But early on, there's a kind of a brotherly love, kind of hippiedom feel to it. Uh, on this programme, we get Ted Templeman, who's heard their tape and likes like three things. The riffing, the harmonies, and the picking style. Great, that changed. But, you know, by the third album, which was so successful, that album. She's the captain in me. It's got long train running on it. You know, so it was a, a, a big success. By that time, they were doing 170 days a year out on the road, you know. And things didn't stay the same. People left, people came in. Jeff Skunk Baxter came in, you know, from Steely Dam. Um, he said they said he made he made them change things. You know, he was always kind of challenging them. Hey, why don't we do this? And they were doing a new album every year. At this time, you know, that's what happened. People just got burnt out. That happened here, um, certainly for that. Because you know, their their main um, vocalist Tom Johnson um, it was um, well. He had to he had to leave for a while. He had to leave four dates into a 44-date tour. Had ulcers, pancreatitis. He went home. So they had to see who they were going to who they were going to, to bring in. And Jeff Baxter said, I've got somebody I can ask. It was Michael McDonald. And the fans didn't like that. But, you know, he managed, they managed to get through the tour. And it changed the, it changed the sound. And that instantly, well, not instantly, but obviously it was going to lead to some clashes. And, you know, Michael McDonald is interviewed here, and so is Jeff Baxter, and they're both very honest. And Michael says, you know, he was, I was more kind of um, sort of um, standard, I suppose standard. It's not the word he uses, but more, you know, he said that, that Jeff was more avant-garde. That's the word he uses. And so they were bound to clash, really. When McDonald, um, when they were recording his uh, his comp- compositions, Jeff Baxter would change the guitar parts for more for his liking. And I'm, I'm sure that's not really... Um, the way they wanted it. By the time that um, they have their big hit with McDonald, What a Fool Believes, What a Fool Believes, oh, I can get up there a bit more now, that uh, McDonald and uh, Kenny Loggins track, uh, that was in that was from uh, Minute by Minute in 78, and by that time, they'd split. They had enough of the anger and the, and the worries, and they were sort of a, 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 a band of brothers, but... That changed, you see, you know. But what a fool believes. Here's the number one track from the number one album. Well, there's no band. Need to get back together. So they did. And uh, Jeff Baxter went. And they got Cordelius Bumpus in. 
I love that name, to replace. Um, there's quite a lot of stuff around drugs here. You know, Tiran Power started doing coke, 79 and, and 80, and he left. Um, there's quite a lot about Kerry Knudsen, the, the, the drummer doing heroin. Uh, his wife is interviewed, you know, and said that by 81 he wasn't hiding it. Wherever they were going, he would call ahead to his dealers and say, please hide, you know, hide some heroin where I can have it, you know. Um, and really, they, they said goodbye in 87, uh, in 82. But Knudsen kicked that habit. And by 87, he'd, he'd um, been sort of filling his, his addiction, really, by trying to help others, which is great, really. And um, in 87, he put together a, a show for Vietnam veterans and asked the doobies to go to play. And they did. And Tiran Power is quoted as saying, well, you know, that's the best fun I've ever had in the band, really. And they reformed in 88. And, I mean, the... Behind the music says they became, they tried to reclaim their biker past. I'm not sure that the albums that came there were as rough as the earlier albums, really. But, you know, um, but much to uh, Behind the Music's delight, perhaps, there were more problems just ahead. So Knudsen's daughter started shooting heroin in the early 90s and, you know, um, she's interviewed, he's interviewed with her saying, Obviously, you know, intellectually, she said, this wasn't about you. And so uh, intellectually, I know that, but in your gut, when you learn it, you think I've been a terrible father. They'd already recounted an episode that his wife said, that's enough, when she was eight years old and in the car, and he was uh, doing a deal, you know, and they explained what heroin was, and his father was addicted, her father was addicted to it, and what it did to you. And um, she said when she tried it, she thought, this is what my father was talking about. This is why he was, he needed it so much, wanted it so much. You know. But that wasn't the only issue. There were more problems just ahead. Bobby Lakind, who was uh, played the Congas and was a very um, sort of volatile uh, character, but with lots of energy. He, um, well, they said, you know, he, um, they first of all say, you know, he started to, he started to take, uh, he started to take heroin again. But he actually then got colon cancer and that was a terrible re- thing for him that, he died in 92, age 47. So they have to mention the heroin. But that wasn't really, that didn't affect, you know, that, that's not the reason why he died. Well, maybe it weakened his system, but he had cancer. So, but that's behind the music for you. And they still, when this program came out, they were playing together because inevitably everyone comes back together in the music business, don't they? The program was made in 2000 when the Sibling Rivalry album came out. But, um, you know, since then, we've had live ones and um, and best ofs, and then we've got um, a, a, an album in uh, in 2010, and then more albums coming. So they're still they're still producing, and uh, there is an album to come this year. I've heard some of the music that's to come from that. I think it's a bit country for me, to be honest. But um, this is an interesting documentary. I didn't know much about all of the travails of, of the doobies. They were worked so hard, they needed stimulants. It's thought. <clears throat> yeah, excuse me. And you know, that's the that's the basis of all this. They were working so hard. They were producing an album a year. And one of the great things is that their music changed so radically when they got different personnel in. But I didn't know of the terrible story behind the Doobie Brothers. But you can rely on 
this program and these documentaries to provide it for you. Now then, let's get back to minute by minute. Ta-ta.